Welcome to the History Slam podcast from ActiveHistory.ca. Here's your host, Sean Graham. Thank you, Adam. Welcome to the History Slam, everybody. I am Sean Graham coming at you today, nearly live from Ottawa, Ontario. Really fun episode for you today as we are in the midst of summer. Things are starting to open up across the country and more people are going on road trips. And one of the great things about road trips is just driving along and listening to music in the car. At least that's one of the things I enjoy about a good road trip. So I wanted to reach out to someone who knows a lot more about music than I do. And I got one of the best in the business to join me on the show this week, Francesca D'Amico Cuthbert. She is a historian of hip hop culture and black music in the Americas. She was on the show a few years ago, back in 2015, actually, she came on to talk about her research. So she joined me. We each put together a playlist and explain our playlist to each other and talk about them. And if you are getting this episode on a podcast app, check the show notes. We will link to our two playlists on Spotify. And if you're on the site over at Active History, these are embedded into the post that goes on with this episode. So check them out. You can listen to both of them. Very different in tone. I had a chance to listen to Francesca's after we recorded. Very much enjoyed it. So each of us have a list of 10 songs that we'll go through and explain our rationale. So uh, a really fun episode today. I very much enjoyed it. So much so that when I pitched it to Francesca, I said, I think this we could do this, you know, 35, 40 minutes. You can tell from the length of the the episode, it's a lot longer than that because Francesca is just so great. I really enjoyed this one. It was so much fun to get to talk with her again and just so much fun to talk about music. She has such a great perspective on it, given that that's what she does. That's where her research is. So let's get right into Historian's Road Trip Playlists. All right. And to talk about playlists, I couldn't think of anybody better to join us for this discussion than the great Francesca D'Amico Cuthbert, uh, historian of hip-hop culture and black music in the Americas, joining us from Toronto. Francesca, how are you doing today? I'm doing really great. I'm very excited to be on this podcast and to talk about something that I hold so dear, which is the making of playlists. So thank you. Thank you so much. Of course. uh, Very excited to have you back on the show. It was six years ago. When we first spoke, you were on uh, the episode or an episode that we recorded at Congress 2015 way back when. So very excited to have you back on the show to to talk about this. We talked about music then. We're talking about music now. And I thought it'd be fun as people start to venture out on road trips in the summer. That's really road trip season. What type of music do people want to listen to? What What is great in the car and how can we get through those hours on the road when you go on one of these road trips in a way that is entertaining and fulfilling? So this is kind of the, the genesis of the idea. So I have some thoughts on what makes a good playlist, but let's just backtrack for a second because you said before we started to record that this is something you do regularly and it sounds like one of the coolest things I've ever heard about that of scholars doing anything. So what is this group of playlist makers that you're part of? Sure. So I'm actually a part of a playlist group that's kind of, its function is sort of like a book club. Uh, it's all digital, of course, it's all remote, but we, uh, the group is is called the Mixtape Concern. So shout out to all the members of that group. We have a group that operates on a particular digital platform. 
And uh, every year we, we split the, the year, I should say, in quarterly periods. Uh, and so we submit playlists every quarter. We vote on the themes uh, in advance of that quarter. And then we spend that period of time just thinking around what that theme might be and designing that playlist and uh, conceptualizing how we're going to approach it. So I've had an opportunity to make a lot of playlists with this group and listen to their contributions as well. And it's a great way to learn about other genres, especially ones that you might not be as familiar with, and to also appreciate the reasons why people value those genres, I think is a, is a really exciting way to dip into a playlist and learn more about artists and how people are, are fans, which was also, you know, an interesting, an interesting study, an academic <laughs> study as well. For, for sure. It's, it's sort of a mix of like history and sociology all mixed together uh, within, within the music. And have you noticed that, you know, we said it off the top, you're a historian of hip hop culture. Do you find yourself when you're, working with the mixtape concern and some of these folks working in other genres that some of the material that you've written about that you've, you've learned about in your studies has, has it been transferable to other genres? You know, the cultures behind things, the way people communicate ideas, just obviously in a different format. Has there been crossover there anywhere? I mean, absolutely. I think the way what's really interesting to me is how people kind of congregate around certain sounds, how they relate to music, uh, how music, I think, is very much, no matter the genre, a universal experience, universal language. And so it's a way for us all to tap into our humanity, uh, tap into our thought making process, our emotions, you know, what makes us vulnerable, what helps us get through life. I mean, I think that's one of the most common features across genres that I've at least learned of. But I think one of the things I appreciate most is the way that music becomes yet another platform. And this is certainly something I've written about, uh, but the way that music becomes another political platform, especially for groups of people where music really has been the central uh, political voice of their time, um, even of their culture across generations. So that's something that I've seen uh, across a number of the the contributions made in this group. Yeah. And it, it always is interesting to, to read about that and to learn about it. For me, certainly as someone who certainly is not involved in that on a day-to-day basis, the, the research of it, whenever I get to read about it, it's always very interesting. So let's get into a little bit about road trip songs and, and what makes good music on a road trip. Cause I have my ideas of what they would be. But again, you're the expert on music and probably have a much better idea uh, on this. So for you, you're getting in the car, you're going on a road trip to wherever. What's the sort of stuff that you want playing when you're driving down the highway? Sure. So I like to think of myself as having a pretty wide range and eclectic approach to music. I'm uh, I'm actually a trained musician and vocalist. So I spent some time uh, in my young life as, as uh, an artist at an art school. And it was there where I really got to expand my musical tastes. So I listen to everything. I mean, being a hip hop historian, of course, I'm immersed in hip hop daily. Uh, but I, I like all kinds of genres, R&B, reggae, dancehall, soca, reggaeton, uh, disco, funk. Uh, I'm a real, real heavy listener of jazz. Uh, I think when I'm not taking a road trip, but I'm just in a car, uh, I always like to tune into 91.1 FM. It's one of my favorite radio channels. Uh, but in terms of thinking about a good road trip, I'm always cognizant of the fact that during a road trip, 
you're very literally surrounded by sound and you're actually seated in it in the sense that you're in the car, you're immersed uh, in a very small and enclosed space. And I think for me, that means that you are absorbing sound in a way that is really different from listening uh, to a playlist through your headphones, for example, or even in an outdoor concert space. Mm -hmm. So I try to approach playlists in a, in a conscious way in terms of what I want filtering through my ears on that journey. So some of the things that I think about when I'm putting together a playlist for a road trip are things like, you know, where, where am I going? What will I see along the way on this journey? How long will it be? Uh, that's, of course, going to determine the length of the playlist or if there's going to be many playlists put together as a result. I also like to think about the temperature, funny enough. Oh. Uh, so what's the weather going to be like? I think because I, I closely relate music and sounds to the outdoors and, and the environmental sounds because I think about them uh, in, in close proximity. And a lot of times musicians are inspired and informed by their outside environments and it and it affects the way that they construct and produce their music. And I also think about what time of the day I'm traveling. So those are some of the more environmental elements. Uh, but I also think about the person or persons that I'm traveling with. So I like to think about if I'm the one putting together a playlist, uh, what do the people in that mode of transportation with me, what do they like? Uh, what kind of tastes do we share? Or, you know, do we have divergent tastes? Are we thinking of making a playlist as a way to introduce one another to different or new sounds? Because I think that's one of the more exciting things about playlists, right? Like tapping into a new song and getting excited watching the other person excited by it, you know, hearing something that they've never heard before and being really inspired by it. Uh, but also I like to think about what kind of energy do, do I want to create and maintain in that mode of transportation? Do we want a relaxing setting? Do we want to stay awake? It might be late at night, you know, so we have to be energized. So these are all the kinds of things I think about when I'm trying to craft a, a particular vibe in, in the transportation in the car, uh, but also the kinds of thoughts and emotions that I, I would hope a playlist provokes. Because for me, music is always about thinking, mm -hmm. uh, obviously being a scholar, but as a musician, it's always about mood. It's always about emotions and, and what can be evoked through sonics okay wow that that is pretty so cool to think about um all, all everything you said and it kind of makes sense in my head as you were talking given your background in, in hip-hop culture because a lot of what the way i interpret what you were talking about it, it kind of feeds into and please correct me if i'm wrong but the mixtape culture of yes. hip-hop and where I think people would say, oh, it's a mixtape. You just put it together. But the people who do mixtapes and the, the real innovators in that space were people who thought very seriously about what they were doing and what order songs went in and what songs are there and what sound, what's, this, what's the soundscape that you're creating. So it's it's very interesting to hear you describe it because it, it feels like in in the way you describe your putting together a playlist, it's picking up on some of that mixtape tradition that what was they back to what 80s ish am i right in that even further back but i think too i mean folks that make mixtapes that work you know specifically in the medium of cassette i think for them you know outside of hip-hop mixtapes or, or you know cassettes with select sound sound choices uh, are also about you know a conversation that you want to have with the listener so 
uh, for over, I guess it would be about 15 years now. I actually have a pen pal in, um, in New York city who, you know, we don't write letters, but we have for a very long time period, uh, exchanged mixtapes. It started off as cassettes. Uh, and then as technology changed, it moved to CDs and then it moved uh, eventually to playlists. And it's, you know, it, the cassette in an interesting way has, it has a different kind of uh, set of expectations and, and limitations, you know, because you're, you're limited to a particular time on each side of the cassette. So you really have to be careful and thoughtful about what you put and not just the order and the sequence and the arc. You know, uh, and I think mixtapes are a great way to communicate with people and tell them a story, a story perhaps about yourself, about them, about how you feel about them. I mean, a lot of people have used mixtapes like love letters. So I just think they're they're really um, fascinating ways to communicate with people um, in ways other than the more kind of traditional text based ways that we are used to conveying our feelings and thoughts with, with people that we want to share ideas with. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's really, really well said. So what we've done is that we've each put together a playlist and we'll, where we don't know what each other has picked. So we'll go through uh, the playlist. We'll start with uh, Francesca. We'll start with yours uh, and you can talk about how you put it together and then I'll go through mine and you can critique mine based off of everything that you've said, which I 100% agree with uh, the the way in which we should think about the soundscapes, all that stuff being put together. The other thing I would say that for me that I would add to what makes a good road trip song or a road trip playlist, at least for me, and this would be me driving. Uh, If I'm in the passenger seat, I feel differently. But if I'm driving, I want to know the words to the songs. And I want to be able to sing along just for whatever reason that makes me feel more awake more alert while i'm driving and i don't want to be kind of lulled by anything while i'm driving if i'm not driving i'm not as concerned about knowing the words but i I do like to sing along while i'm driving so that's an another added thing for me that i think about especially if it's late at night and or dark out. that makes sense especially if being yeah late at night that makes absolute sense yeah so all right so let's get into this uh so francesca let's uh, let's go through your list so what is your lead-off song on your road trip playlist sure so my lead-off song and and i don't know how much detail you want to get into i mean i have to say uh that this was a very difficult exercise for me <laughs> because i love music so much and i and i thought you know what can i put uh on a playlist, 10 songs. It's so hard. So yeah. anyhow, my first song is uh, Lost Ones by Lauren Hill off of the Miseducation of Lauren Hill album. It was her first solo album after she left the Fugees. And the song for me is all about empowerment. I mean, she talks about all kinds of empowerment, gender empowerment, empowerment as an artist, uh, thinking of herself as a spiritual being. But one of the things that I really thought about when I made this playlist, and by the way, my playlist, uh, I titled it Contemplating the Road. Oh, and nice. I kind of, I, I wanted to play on words, you know, so I wanted to think about the way that uh, when you're actually on a road, you know, journeying down it, a very literal road, uh, I like to create playlists where the listener is put in this space of deep reflection where you can just lose yourself and your thoughts and feelings and sound. And so interestingly enough, I am, I, I don't drive. So I'm a passenger uh, at all times. 
And so for me, it's uh, always about listening. Mm. It's very rarely about singing, you know, or contributing some kind of musical fashion. I do it, of course, but I like to listen more uh, in, in a car. And so uh, I wanted to think about contemplating the very literal road, what it means to be on a road uh, and, and taking in the sounds, but then thinking about that little road you're on as a kind of metaphor for life's journey. So Lauren Hill's song really makes me think about really important life lessons that you have to kind of take, you know, through the course of your life. So things like what it means to live with integrity, uh, to desire growth and change, uh, to protect your life and your, and your internal wisdom. Uh, the song's a lot about spiritual principles, you know, what it means to move through the world with ethics, grace and compassion, uh, wisdom and thoughtfulness. And, and also, and I think more importantly about the fact that no matter what happens to you, the universe is always striving for balance. So, you know, even when you feel like you're in chaos, there's a, there's a reason and purpose for it. And I wanted to start the playlist with something really powerful like that to set the tone for what's going to come next. Okay. So that I like that approach to it. And certainly that's an album that I'm, I'm familiar with. Not, I don't know. That's not the most famous song off the album, but just an amazing album. So a really solid choice as a lead off to this. I'm, I'm very impressed so far. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So, uh, so what, what's the next one? What follows that? So the next one is uh, by one of my top three MCs of all time. And that's common uh, featuring CeeLo on an album called like water for chocolate. And the song is called a song for Asada. And uh, so one of the things as a music historian that I value is music's capacity to tell stories and to harness different perspectives. And so this particular song is about Asada Shakur, who was a member of the Black Liberation Army and the Black Panther Party in the 1970s. And for those uh, listeners that may be unfamiliar, uh, Shakur was convicted of first degree murder of a state trooper by the name of Werner Forrester. Uh, during a shootout on the New Jersey Turnpike. And in her defense, uh, in the aftermath of that conviction, there was medical evidence that actually suggested her innocence. And yet in the 1970s, she was charged, along with first-degree murder, she was also charged with armed robbery, bank robbery, and kidnapping uh, in relation to that shootout, but as well uh, six other incidents. And since then, uh, Shakur has been wanted by the FBI and currently has political asylum in Cuba. And one of the reasons I really like this recording, being a scholar of African-American history uh, in the latter 20th century, and the relationship that Black music has to politics, is because I think Common really powerfully captures the story through her eyes and her bodily experience. And so we get a sense of uh, what it means. We get, a, we get a moment to just sit in what it means uh, to, to be an activist pursuing liberation uh, and, and encountering various levels of state-sanctioned terror, whether, uh, you know, in this case, uh, Common is talking about the police, the courts, prisons, even hospitals, and of course, what it means to endure threats on your life as an activist, you know, how challenging the project of freedom is. And so for me, I wanted to, uh, you know, give a second song that that really, I think, wakes the listener up, you know, to the seriousness of what's around us in life. Yeah, and this is a really powerful song. I'm looking at the lyrics right now where it, yeah, very pointed here. 
in, in what is being discussed, talking about, as you say, threats, not only to her, but it, it seems to her children, um, it threats to her family. And mm-hmm. yeah, very direct here in, in the lyrics. So yeah, I could see this being a, a song that yeah has a very pointed message to it. Absolutely. And I think, especially when we're talking about activists who are framed in one way by the state as as a threat, it's really interesting when musicians uh, provide us a counter-narrative. And I think that's what's so powerful, specifically about the Black music tradition, is it's a way to give us a story that is different than the one that the mainstream uh, you know, the status quo attempts to deliver to its audience. Yeah. And um, so I think it's exemplary of that, that practice. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, this certainly fits with, with that. All right. Uh, so what is next? Next is uh, a really great song called sleepless nights uh, by a collective actually of musicians who are solo musicians, but came together on this um, extended play album called dinner party. So it's uh, a combination of uh, Terrace Martin, who is a producer, composer, uh, Robert Glasper, who's a very famous uh, jazz pianist, but works a lot with hip hop artists. Ninth Wonder, who's a really famous hip hop producer as well. Um, The vocalist on it is Felix and the wonderful, of course, Kamasi Washington, a multi-instrumentalist jazz musician who is absolutely phenomenal. So all of these artists come together on this song and I really like this song because it has interesting lyrics. And I think one of the strengths of of recordings is when the lyrics can have multi-level meaning, where you can think about what it means in the abstract, but also what some of the other kind of direct meanings might be. So I think about a lyric like, uh, and here I'm quoting, I lay awake, tossing, wondering when we'll get it right. We've been down for so long. No change been on the way, ain't worried no more. Uh, And so you get the impression from the song that they might be talking about a relationship, uh, a love relationship perhaps. But I also get the sense, especially when I take in the rest of the album that Sleepless Nights is a part of, uh, that they might also be talking about the relationship that a particular community might have to the rest of society. So something gives me the sense that this record might actually be about the relationship that African-Americans have to various structures of power and that they're, uh, I, I think one of the songs, one of the things that the song highlights is this, the particular emotion of frustration and the literal sleeplessness that one encounters when they've been playing with, you know, struggle, feeling down and feeling down could even mean, you know, a reference to literal depression, anxiety, sadness, or the oppression that one feels in a larger uh, social setting. So I, I just, I really love the combination of the artists, but also the, the many ways, the, the many perspectives that you could take on the lyrics themselves. One of the great parts about art is how uh, audiences differently interpret what, what they're encountering. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, like you say, some of these lyrics, you're right. They, the perception based on your perception, you're going to have a different reaction to them. And yeah, that interpretation is what makes stuff interesting is that you can look at it from various angles. So uh, yeah, so really, really good choice here. I do wonder, and this is something that's certainly given your level of expertise, 
you would know more than I, but I, I often wonder these large collaborations because, and part of this is, you know, working on government documents for the past three years, but I've found, I, I've found in, in writing at least when 20 people write a document, it reads like 20 people wrote a document and therefore yeah. the perspective gets lost. How sure. do you feel about when artists like this collaborate when they have a, a message that they're trying to put forth is it is it more effective to come together or is it better to have a singular voice do you find it's a really great question i think in some ways art is a much more collaborative process than scholarship so in many ways we might come together and exchange ideas but i especially being historians there aren't as many opportunities to to write together uh, there aren't as many ways to to think in text as I think is present when people are making music, for example. I mean, music is an incredibly collaborative process. Uh, you know, you might you might be a vocalist, but you're going to need potentially an instrumental. You're going to need, you know, in the case of jazz, a song is going to come together when you have the drums and the guitar and the horns, you know, and, and all of the, the instruments that are needed to create the fullness of the sound. So the practice is already collaborative before it becomes what these artists um, on Dinner Party were creating, which is these uh, distinct kind of solo careers, their own trajectories, but working in the me this medium that's a bit, you know, a, a mix of jazz, a mix of hip hop, uh, and coming together and making it solidly a project uh, that reflects potentially one vision, one line of thought, but uh, something about, you know, when you listen to the full the full piece of dinner party, something about it tells me that there is a commonality of thought that already existed before these artists actually sat down and thought through what the project was going to be. So in part, the song is also a reflection, I'm sure of conversations, right. how people come to talk about the ideas they have, how those ideas converge and how very oftentimes collaboration is a reflection of already existing common ground. Right. That I think sometimes in, you know, an academic thought, we assume that we are already not necessarily in agreement, you know? Yeah. Uh, so art, art has a way of actually fostering that before people actually sit down and do that work in a, not, you know, in a, in a deliberate way, I should say. Yeah. And you're right. Yeah. That's something that when you're writing in, in an academic setting, typically uh, you're, you're not doing that and taking that time. Uh, to create that commonality before we we go ahead and start writing. So yeah, I think that's that's very well said. So uh, what is next on your list? We're up to song four now. Yes. So song four is uh, titled W A Y S Ways, and it's actually it's actually meant uh, every letter is a is a word. So it's ways, but it's also the question, why aren't you smiling? And it's by an artist by the name of Janae Aiko on her album, Sold Out. This is probably one of my top five songs of all time. Uh, it's in the genre of R&B. And I like the song because it's a conversation that she's having with an ethereal being who she encounters at the time 44 minutes to four. So she keeps repeating the fact that she's having this conversation uh, which uh, to some people is a reference to what are called angel numbers so when you see the, the repetition of certain numbers it's it's an indication that you're coming into alignment um, with the universe and in this particular song she's 
working through what it means to encounter life's challenges. And the ethereal being that she's talking to is telling her that, you know, you have to persevere through these challenges, but in doing so, it can't be about ego. You have to learn how to have humility, to be patient, and to have faith that things will get better. And even as you're doing that, the question remains, why aren't you smiling, right? You need to be grateful in that change because it's always meant for your upliftment. So I like this song because it's a real attempt to think of ourselves as people as not just in a bodily experience, uh, you know, for people that believe that there's something more, uh, for people that believe we're a spiritual being. It's it's a way of thinking of ourselves as part of a larger whole, you know, whether you think it's um, you, you attribute it to a religion or a faith or to the universe or what have you. I, I love the conversation that's, that's being had. And I think the song, too, falls in line with the overall theme of the playlist, which is thinking about journeying, journeying through life, but obviously journeying on this literal road that you're on in the road trip and the lessons that you'll learn. Uh, and as you learn more lessons, you uh, build you know, your ego lowers, or ho- hopefully the hope is that your ego, your ego lowers and you gain greater humility and perspective as a result, mm-hmm. right? And you're just more grateful for the simplicity of life. And it's that, that feeling is also reflected in the sonics of the song. Right. And, and again, and looking at the lyrics here, it feels like it's coming out of certain, of certain folk tradition almost. Uh, I, I know you said it's, it's R&B in the genre, but lyrically mm-hmm. it, it reminds me of some older folk type songs uh in in sort of what it's trying to get at here i think well i think maybe part of what you're responding to is that conversation piece so there's you know for example like in the blues the blues has a lot of uh, moments where uh the author the artist is in conversation with um with a being you know with something outside Mm -hmm. of themselves or bigger than themselves Uh, and it's really you know thinking through uh, the range of feeling and experience. So it could be, you know, and obviously rhythm and blues being a part of the long black American music tradition, it makes complete sense that it would tap into that, uh, that history as well. For sure. All right. Uh, what's next? Next is, and I, I have to say, this is my most favorite song in the playlist. It's a okay. song I feel I need to talk at length about because if people don't know Christian Scott Atunde Ajwa, they need to know this artist. He's phenomenal. Uh, a jazz artist, uh, African-American multi-instrumentalist out of New Orleans. And this song called Twin is on the album Stretch Music. And uh, I was so interested in the song as a musician, of course, that I had to read what it was about. So it's entirely instrumental. There are no lyrics. And I was interested to think through what is the overall concept of the song. So I once read an interview where Christian detailed that the song was actually dedicated to to his twin brother, who coincidentally um, is a film director that works quite closely, I believe, with Spike Lee. And he came to this idea after they were having a conversation together about what it must have took for them to to come into the world as, as little human beings. And they talked about the journey that they believe their ancestors were faced with as they crossed the Atlantic in the midst of the transatlantic slave trade. And they paused particularly on what they believe was the emotional and the psychological cost of that travel. And so Christian decided that he wanted to represent that story uh, in song where the recording begins only with drums 
that they believed captured their ancestry, their lineage. So he he blends these rhythms together uh, that are from Senegal, Gambia, Mali, Benin, uh, the Latin Caribbean, and uh, Afro-Indigenous sounds out of New Orleans because these twins identify um, as Afro-Indigenous. And what's interesting about the song is the drums never leave the listener. They are the foundation of the song. They open the song and they close the song. Uh, but in the middle, um, and laid over top of the drums, are these two trumpet melodies. And these trumpet melodies are supposed to be the embodiment. They're supposed to be a metaphor of this, this idea of twins, right? And, of course, being sustained by the rhythm uh, of the drums that is emblematic of their ancestors. And I love the way that the trumpets uh, open, particularly in unison, and then they have all these moments in between where the trumpets are complementing one another, where they converge, they harmonize, but then they also go in slightly different directions. They elaborate and riff off of one another. And then there's moments in the song where the trumpets have this wide gulf in between them, only to end the song where they come back together in total unison. And it's, a, it's an interesting interpretation of what it's like to be a twin, you know, to be so close and then in some moments want to have a completely different identity, but ultimately you're always tied together. Uh, and it's also interesting to think of the ways that the, the trumpets have their own personality. Uh, there are moments where the trumpets swell and you can really feel the sadness that they're meant to invoke uh, as a reflection, of course, on the journey that the song is about. Uh, and then there's, of course, other moments where you can tell that the trumpets are meant to be uh, a kind of careful celebration of life, even in the midst of acknowledging all of this ancestral pain. And so... It's interesting to me that then at some point the trumpets fall out and all we hear left are the drums and then the drums fade out. And it's almost a, a kind of, at least how I theorize it, is that the ancestors uh, you know, are forever. They'll live beyond the physical lives of these two twins, right? But they're also what brought them into the world and what will carry them out. Hmm. So it's a fantastic song and, and concept. Uh, and it really, for me, as I say, is my fo- my most favorite song in the playlist. I'm curious to know your thoughts on this, where I think for a lot of people, and this has come up for me when I've taught, uh, certainly teaching radio, we talk about music in the second half of the 20th century. And one of the things that is easiest for students to pick up on is when I talk about music that is associated with civil rights movement, women's rights movement, uh, like, mm-hmm. or, or even, you know, the connection between disco and the gay rights movement, right? Like, because the lyrics make those connections so apparent mm-hmm. when you listen to them and, and, or even when you can read them, is it harder for the average person to pick up on some of the themes that you identified with this song when there are no lyrics in your experience? Or is it the sort of thing that maybe we're just not as conscious of it as we listen to the song with no lyrics, but subconsciously and and the meanings and the purpose behind the song is clear if we were to actually sit and think about it. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that for me, being that I am a musician or I, I, I am a musician before I was ever a scholar, I have a, a kind of foundational thinking about instrumentation and the histories of sound and the histories of genre uh, from from an artistic perspective. And so I understand 
to a great extent, even before I got to the work, the scholarship, uh, what it means to have particular rhythms, uh, what it means to, uh, you know, how, for example, how we can tell that uh, a trumpet is is wailing and sounds like it's crying, you know, uh, or calling out. But I also think that in some ways there's something about, uh, you know, the human experience that you can actually like meets like. So being being a person, you just you can identify with emotions. Right. Um, and you can you can see that reflected in instrumentation, even even if you might not actually kind of intellectually make that connection. And I think for people that may not have that foundational music knowledge, it really helps uh, to tap into then interviews uh, where the artist explains their concept. And then you can start thinking about that, the commentary on the song in parallel with what it actually sounds like. So I don't always think that it's necessary to have those lyrics. And in some ways, the absence of the lyrics actually forces us in a good way to come in greater contact contact with the instrumentals and think about what those sounds are trying to tell us, um, what they're trying to evoke in us. Because a lot of times when lyrics are present, we don't always pay attention to production. We don't always pay attention to the assembly of, of sounds and the layering of them and what they might mean and how they have within them embedded a history all in of themselves. So now we're in the back half of the playlist. So you just said that Twin is your favorite song. So how do you follow up your favorite song in the I playlist? I know, right? Well, well, you know, once you hit the peak, uh-huh. uh, you have to start kind of going down the mountain, right? <laughs> Traveling down, coming to the end point, the bookend. So uh, the next song for me is a song called Far From Finished. It's by a soca artist, uh, named the voice, uh, named voice, I should say. And so when I said that this playlist was challenging, in part it was challenging because I couldn't capture all of the genres that I liked because I was also thinking about what story I wanted to tell with the playlist. So in keeping with the theme of, of life uh, as a journey and the road trip as a journey, one of the reasons I like voice so much is because of the positivity in all of his lyrics the uplifting nature of his music and the conscious minded approach that he takes to everything that he puts out into the world musically. And so when you listen to these lyrics, on the one hand, the song is really again about reflecting about various trials and challenges and even failures that he's encountered uh, throughout his life. But on the other hand, the song is very literally about what it's titled far from finished. This idea that, you know, you're on a journey that still hasn't ended. Uh, and so despite the challenges, you have to move forward in gratitude, in, in a sense of hope. Uh, you have to reflect on the gifts that you have and the blessings that are going to continue to come as you journey throughout life. And for me, this message is really inspiring. I was listening to this song uh, in the last, I'd say, six months of completing my dissertation, because for those of us that have written a dissertation, it's a real, that those last six months are really challenging to get through. And this song really reminded me that hard work matters, that being consistent and resilient builds character. And that it's really important to center your life on gratitude and moving in your purpose, whatever you, you know, determine or figure out is your purpose. And in particular, as a first generation Canadian uh, of an immigrant family, one of the most valuable messages in this song is the way that voice talks about his parents and 
how your family plays a really important role in grounding you and reminding you to keep going. Especially, you know, when I was listening to this, it was in the midst of feeling like, can I get through to this finish line, right, uh, of completing the dissertation? So your family, at least for me, and as reflected in the song, really plays a role in reminding you to keep going and not to lose steam, right, so that you can get get to that goal. Because you are, of course, as the song says, far from finished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I really like the lyrics here. They say the San Juan youth born so lucky, but I thank the father and me family. Like that sort of stuff. I I, I do. Yeah. Really, really good choice here. That's a good follow-up from twin too. And it seems that those two songs, I can see the connection there that you're making uh, between them. So, so yeah, very well linked together. Uh, All right. So up to number seven on your list. I'm very much enjoying this. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Number seven is a song called four leaf clover by Erica Badu from the album Baduism. And it's, I'm not sure if many people often reference the song. I don't actually hear many people reference the song, but for me, it's it's probably my most favorite song on the album. And in the last half of the playlist, most of the songs are actually about love. But what I find so interesting about these songs are the way that you kind of can draw and interpret alternative or just pair, you know, different kinds of meanings from them that may not be literal in the way that the artist perhaps intended them. So uh, for me, this song, first and foremost, is about the vocals. So, you know, being someone who was trained in jazz vocals, I really like following the way she works the melody, elaborates with it, plays with it over time uh, in the song. Uh, So I'm really interested in the way she sings it on the one hand. But also, for me, this song is, is about this concept of luck. And and vulnerability. So, you know, the opening lyrics are about the vulnerabilities associated with, you know, what it means to approach somebody that you might be interested in. Here she means romantically, but, you know, we can think about interest in a great many ways. And the meanings that I take away from the song uh, are a series of life lessons or concepts. So the idea that it's really important to take risks in your life, uh, to move always with courage to take your time in a very thoughtful way through every step that you take in life, uh, but also to act on and to trust your instincts. So when you feel like, you know, you're going in the right direction or you need to go in a particular direction to do that, to trust that uh, all of which she says might lead to luck and the opportunity that you are hoping for. So it's again, you know, one of the things that I, I hope that this playlist does is think about how a very literal journey right, is on a road is about looking forward to where you're going to go, mm-hmm. uh, looking forward to what is going to be on the road as you go. Uh, and I think that this song really captures that sentiment. Yeah. Uh, and and again, again, another good follow up in the idea of gratitude, too, that mm-hmm. you talked about from the from Far From Finish. There, there's, again, nice crossover uh, in the lyrics here. Thank you. All right. So uh, song number eight. Song number eight is Woe by Snow Allegra, uh, who is an R&B artist as well. And it's from an album called Uh, Those Feels Again. And so for anyone who hasn't heard the album, uh, this album is entirely about feelings and sometimes feelings in a way that we actually can't intellectualize with words, which is a very interesting place to be. So again, this song is another one on the surface that's about love. But for me, I think 
it's a song that's also about the value of living in the moment of being in the present, which I think for people who, um, I think a, a lot of academics struggle with that, you know, um, mm-hmm. being that I'm assuming our core audience that might be listening to this podcast, maybe academics, uh, especially, you know, if you're thinking about the future, you know, we're often always t- thinking about the future or we could all also as historians, we're always thinking about the past, yeah. um, in both our practice, but in our real lives, right. Yep. Professional and, and otherwise. Uh, and so I think one of the things that this song conveys is she's using this idea of love and she's talking about it in, in very much the present and what it means to be fully and entirely and willingly suspended in this otherworldly feeling where nothing else exists, but that sentiment uh, and, and how that sentiment makes you feel or how that, that moment, that experience makes you feel. And it's, it's so interesting to listen to the way the artist describes this feeling because as I say, it's it's not at all really intellectual. It's almost like she can't find words to describe what it means. That she just keeps saying, you know, in the chorus, she says, whoa. And it's interesting to think about what does that word even mean? You know, it might mean that you're surprised or you're shocked or you're overwhelmed. You know, it can mean any number of things. So I think if I'm to take a more abstract approach to the song, for me, it's it it teaches me a lesson about how important it is to always live in the present. And it also poses a question, which is, you know, how often do we really do that? How often in life do we really live suspended in this feeling where nothing else exists, but the moment it's a, it's a, it's a real task, uh, but it's a, it's a great challenge. So I think that's for me, what I take from the song. Yeah, and it feels like we are so worried about, as you said, what's going to come next. And that you get a lot of this in this song where mm-hmm. she's questioning sort of what is next or, or what is the, the state of this relationship, sort of that's the outward appearance of it. But you're right, the, the idea of can we just live in a moment now and appreciate what we have now or what the situation is right now. And certainly you're right. Professionally, it's very hard to do. But even just all the everything around us is always about look to the future, look to the next thing. Like I was in Walmart three weeks ago and the back to school stuff was up. And I'm like, wait, it's it's early July. What are you doing? Like right, you know, like like (laughs) absolutely right. So we can't just we can't ever really live now uh, in the Mm -hmm. moment just ourselves. And I think the society that we live in is always pushing us to think what's next, what's next. Like how many times have you been at a wedding and people are like, well, when are they going to have a baby? Well, like, like they, they just got married. Give them a break. You know? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's a real invitation to think about what it means, you know? And a lot of times when people say we need to be present minded, I don't know if we if we really truly think about what that entails. And I think this song really invites us to think about when you're in the present, it it really is about almost blocking everything else out, what came before, what came after, what's even on the side, you know, what's even happening simultaneously outside of the moment that you're in. Right. Uh so it's an invitation to really uh challenge ourselves around what being present minded is and and to be in the experience yeah all right uh two songs left so what is the penultimate song on your playlist 
The next song is a, a song by the name of Life Round Here by James Blake. And it's actually a remix of the original recording uh, on his album Overgrown that features Chance the Rapper. So it's, you know, a little bit of hip hop mixed with what James Blake does well, which is blending R&B and dubstep. Uh, so for me, this song is perhaps the most, it, it reminds me both in the lyrics, but in the visuals of, of a road trip. So for those that are familiar with the music video, uh, the video itself is actually James Blake and, and Chance the Rapper inside of a car, driving inside of a car with the top down on an empty road, these trees that are kind of hovering over the road, and it's filmed in black and white. And the car, interestingly enough, is moving at the very same pace as the instrumentals. So when the song begins, it's kind of creeping along just as the, the car is in the music visuals. And we see the camera panning over the car. Uh, and when, of course, the camera isn't focused on the musicians, it pans around the car, outside of the car. And it focuses on usually uh, a group of people, either two or three, who are engaged in some kind of action, you know, on the side of the road. We're not sure what they're doing, but, you know, they're looking. We get the sense that the camera is the artist looking outside of their car. And it's literally the action that, you know, you would do while you're listening to a playlist while driving. Uh, but for me, the lyrics highlight what happens in a road trip, for me at least. And that's that uh, it's a contemplative exercise. So it's, it's where the artists are thinking about life. Uh, thinking about what life means to them through music and how life has so much uncertainty. And, and when we really think about life, we find ourselves oftentimes asking more questions or at least sitting with more questions than answers. And there's this really interesting lyric in the song where James Blake says, and here I'm quoting, touchdown on a rainy day. And when I initially kind of researched what that lyric meant, uh, I found that he was referencing uh, when a plane touches down on a runway uh, on days when it's the runway is wet because it's been raining, uh, which then results potentially in hydroplaning. And many listeners, uh, including myself, have thought that this phrase is almost like a metaphor to describe what it's like to simultaneously experience hope and fear when you're landing on uncertain ground. And that's similar to, again, the intention behind behind the playlist, right? So on the one hand, when you're going on this trip, right, you have hope of what's to come. Sorry, what's to come in front of you as you're as you're journeying on the road, but also, you know, as you as you rest deep in thought, some some people also become fearful of what the thought that that journeying into thought is gonna is gonna bring you into, uh, and so for me, the sentiment is captured obviously in the lyrics, but also interestingly enough in the sound. So there's moments in the recording where the instrumentation feels very eerie, almost as though it's kind of cautiously creeping forward, which is, I think, a reflection of, of the fear. But then there's other moments where the song is really exciting. It's pulsating, it's driving uh, forward. And it's almost, you know, there's some sonics in it that actually sounds like the song is spinning out. You're supposed to get a feeling of spinning out, like that hydroplaning. Uh, so again, it just, it makes me think about the overall theme of the playlist, but also this tension between hope and fear and, and the way, of course, that music can build that 
that meaning sonically and lyrically, right, into all of the layers of a recording. Right. And there's nothing quite like when the lyrics and the sound come together like perfectly. In, Absolutely. In right. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. And it's, it's really, it's a, it's a really great feat when an artist is able to match the sonics to the lyrics, to the visuals, so that right. all of those things come to mind immediately when you think of the song. Right. Right. And, uh, and yeah, that's one of those things that's been lost. I think over the last 10 years, 15 years is the visual side of it that Absolutely. with, you know, with MTV and much music in this country, not being those things anymore, really the, the idea of telling the story through the video or through any sort of visual element doesn't seem as important to me as, as an outsider looking in on the industry. Absolutely. So. And I think, I think that, you know, one of the interesting jobs of a music video is that it doesn't always have to tell a parallel story. Right. It's a great way to actually invite new meaning onto the song that might, you know, be, uh, that might complement, but also might be intention. So I think about, you know, music, for example, that uh, was made in the era of black exploitation when artists like uh, Curtis Mayfield, you know, used the visual to play with uh, the, the, you know, the meaning of, of the song in, in the recorded context, right? So what happens when you place uh, a visual over top that, that invites, and in this case, you know, I'm thinking about the film itself, which is, you know, a precursor, of course, to music videos, uh, that matching of, of a recording um, in a film soundtrack to the actual film itself, but the way that the visual can add meaning, uh, can can build out the context, can nuance it in very complex and interesting ways. And so I think that's, for, for me, one of the interesting jobs of a music video. And it's certainly, we see it at work in some material, but it's in some, in some other instances, you know, those of us who came up in the age of MTV and much music, it's something that we crave and yes. wish would return. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, uh, Francesca, bring us home. What are what? Like, I have no idea how you cap all this off. Like this, <laughs> I, I have no idea what you're gonna say because so far, um, like the yeah, I, I have no idea. Like, the, it feels like I know you said that the twin was your favorite song on this, but to try to cap this off, this feels to me like it had to have been the most difficult choice. It was. I changed. I had a song that was gonna <laughs> cap it off. Last night at at twelve thirty at night, and then I came across another that was part of actually the same album, you know, the same art, you know, the okay. artist's catalog yeah. on the same album. But I thought this song is the better one to to cap it off. So the last song is called Sunday Night. It's by Ryan Leslie uh, off of the album Transition, also of the R and B genre. Now. For those listeners that don't know Ryan Leslie, he is an intellectual. He went to Harvard. Uh, so it's it's great that he ends the playlist for um, <laughs> for your podcast audience, which I imagine are mostly academics. Uh, but also he is a musical genius, in my opinion. The song for me is more about the production uh, than it is necessarily about the lyrics. So, you know, I'm as a vocalist myself, I'm really interested in the ways that artists use um, vocal tracks to layer and create a warmth in music. I mean, we saw this, you know, in the work of Marvin Gaye, for example, uh, who, who did an incredible job at layering and creating texture and breadth in music, um, an incredible landscape of music in his work in the 19, early 1970s. 
And I think uh, Ryan Leslie, in a lot of ways, uses layering, uh, whether we're talking about the instrumentation or the vocals themselves, in such a complex and interesting way. So for me, it's all about the production and the instrumentation. He he layers really interesting rhythmic sounds together, things that you might think would clash, but somehow they work all together. It's an incredible, like pulsating feel throughout the song. The the drums, the the tisking sound. I, I don't know the you know appropriate term, but the tisking, tis tis, you know the drums. Mm-hmm. It just it's it's so soothing, in a really interesting way. Uh, and then of course the multi tracks of his voice that make for a really warm and rounded out sound. That I that again, you know, in thinking about the playlist and listening to it in this enclosed space of the car. Uh, what it feels like to have such warm sounds coming through your ears and the way that that really, uh, when you think about also the rhythm of being on a road, uh, especially if you're on an open road where there might where there, where there isn't traffic behind, you don't feel the pressure to drive really quickly. Uh, this is a great song uh, for that. And then there's this really interesting trill that Ryan um, does on the keyboards that for me at least sounds almost like a roller coaster, like you're going up and down and you're going in all kinds of directions that indicate to me another layer of movement. There's so much movement in this song. Uh, But for me, I like the idea of ending the playlist using the notion of Sunday. So for me, Sunday is, you know, the the day that ends the week, that precedes the start of the week. And for me, the Sunday is about really curating your time, uh, in a way that's very conscious of uh, centering relaxation, comfort, and being around people that you cherish, uh, and, and to and to carve out that space and to craft it in a very meaningful way. And of course, the song itself is about love again, you know, very literally. But for me, it's more again about that abstract. And he manages to convey all of that, uh, and the song feels kind of like a downturn into energy, and it eventually fades out. Uh, in the way that that Sunday really is is, is exemplary of, right? It's the yeah. end of the week. Uh, it's that is that day when you're just supposed to wind down, but also prepare, right? Right. And it's so interesting then that you know, being that we're in a digital era of music, uh, you just prepare. You can start the playlist all over again, right? So it's yeah. downturning as Sundays as Sundays invite us to do, and of course Sunday, uh, in line with the theme of this particular episode, is a great day for a road trip. So yeah. Sunday it is. Absolutely. Well, I gotta say, I am my mind is blown after this. After hearing your list, I am so impressed uh, by it, and uh, frankly, is slightly embarrassed by mine now. But <laughs> no, not at all. I think you know playlists have different functions. Okay. You know, so there. I think I'm, I'm always more interested not necessarily in the songs themselves, but what the curator of that playlist intends, you know, to mean with it, what they intend to evoke. So I'm, I'm interested, of course, to hear the songs on your list, but I'm also, I think, more interested to hear about the reasons you chose them. Okay. So, all right. So, so let's go through mine then. My, my sure. 10 song list. And I've tried to create almost segments within the playlist to mm-hmm. represent different energies and, and styles. I, I've tried to make it very eclectic. As I said earlier, this list was, when, when I was putting it together, it was with the mind of I'm the one who's driving. So right. part of it is is songs that I can sing along to, that I, I know the words to, that, that keep me energized, that keep me going, uh, while also hitting on certain themes along the way. So 
I will also note that you know my background, of course, very different from yours, so it's going to have a different flavor to it. And I sure. also really like musical theater. There's no musical theater songs on here because I don't like listening to them in isolation. I always think that they need to be surrounded by the entirety of a soundtrack for mm-hmm. them for them to make sense. But one of the things I really like about musical theater when you see it live is the wall of sound that Absolutely. comes at you. So I've uh, some of these are in that spirit of maybe not a wall of sound because you have speakers behind you, but just to be enveloped by sound and powerful sound is part of what I've tried to put together here. Okay. So my first song is it's in the theme of driving and getting out, but also to give you the sense of energy and you're starting on this journey. So for my first song, I have shut up and drive by Rihanna again. Ooh. Lyrically, it just makes sense as you know we're starting on this journey. But at the same time, just sound-wise, I think that's a good opener to it's it's upbeat, but it's not too upbeat. Like it doesn't get you; it's not too fast for an opener. So it creates the sense of all right, we're starting this out. It's like a warm-up song, while lyrically it fits in with what we're doing. Absolutely, and I think it it sets the tone for the fact that what you are doing is driving. Yeah. And and I guess because we got a playlist on, we're not going to talk as much. So, there you go. Exactly. You know, yeah. Get so, to it. Get driving. Yeah. So from Shut Up and Drive, my next song, it goes to a folk song. And, and it, it might feel a little slower to go from a Rihanna song to a, a folk song, but it's an East Coast artist playing the banjo and it's a song called I Quit My Job by Old Man Ludica, who is a, a guy with a banjo and he goes around and he has a lot of songs. What I really like about I Quit My Job is that for a folk song, it's pretty upbeat. I find the banjo, for the most part, when people are doing banjo songs, they tend to be quick because a slow banjo is kind of depressing in a way. So, you know, fast beat, upbeat banjo. And what I really like about the song is that even if you haven't quit your job, going on a road trip gives you this sense of escape from whatever it is your life is. You're not at work. You are free from that. So that that emotion that he tries to put forth in the song of freedom, of liberation from this thing that is keeping you anchored in a way. That mm-hmm. I find when I start on a road trip, I have that feeling that I'm getting away from whatever it is at home, whatever professional thing that is I've been struggling with, or if it's it's been a lot, or even if everything's going great professionally, but just the opportunity to get away from it from for a little bit, I find that mm-hmm. very liberating. And that is why I picked this song because it fits in with that emotion. Absolutely. And when you leave, we I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting idea to then like follow with because when you leave a job, there's this kind of energy, mm-hmm. right. That, that follows that is really exciting. You know, there's an adrenaline associated yep. with it um, that I think nicely follows the energy, even though it might be a shift in, in, in music in the sense of the music or the genre, it matches the feeling of the song that preceded it to just, right. You know, that, that the level of energy that the first song evokes right. is certainly kind of conceptually present in the second as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I tell the students who come into our office as co-op students on the last day when they're there, I always tell them that like last days of jobs are usually my favorite in that it can be nerve wracking. It can be stressful, but there's also a sense of excitement behind it of like. Absolutely. About what's coming next. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So after I quit my job, then we go to something that, you know, you have that potential excitement, but also maybe uncertainty. You're not really sure. So my next song is Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive. This is- oh, I love that song. Right? You can just belt. I think anyone in the world could probably just belt this out in the car. And mm-hmm. but But it's also that sense of safety that comes with it, of that assurance of from the, the last song of liberation, I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm safe, I'm secure, I will be able to do this. And that affirmation of whatever it is you're doing, and in my case, if I'm driving, which I don't always like to do necessarily, but that, that sense of you can do this, like there's a confidence inherent in that song that I really like to have, especially early in a trip. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that in a lot of ways, uh, even though we didn't exchange playlists, we didn't even talk about what our themes might be. Mm -hmm. There appears to be a lot of overlap in terms of, you know, of this, you know, the excitement, the, the, the idea of persisting, of moving forward, of knowing that everything's going to be okay. There's a lot of parallels that I already see arising. Mm -hmm. All right. Now this is where I might lose you on that though. Okay. (laughs) So, so so that's my first segment of that, that getting free, the power behind it, the excitement behind it. And I I'm going from Gloria Gaynor to a segment of songs that one are upbeat, fast, kind of dancey type songs, but also harken back to a time in my life. So these songs don't necessarily mean anything on their own, but they are important markers for me that when I hear them, I think of time and place. And this is one of those things where you you mentioned it when you were finishing your dissertation, that the songs can have a meaning for you in that Mm -hmm. moment. And certainly that's the case for me. Like there's three songs that I continue to listen to during my comprehensive exams and whenever I hear one of those three songs, I immediately go to the law library at the, I don't physically go, but you know, mentally, I go to the mm-hmm. law library at the University of Ottawa, where I wrote all the papers for my comprehensive exams. And those songs just immediately take me there because I think song has that power, that ability Absolutely. to immediately transport you to time and place. So this particular song takes me to a time and a place. And it's not so much about the lyrics or the song itself, but it's about what it means. And this song, and this is why I'm scared you, I'm going to lose you. It's S Club Party by S Club 7. Wow, S Club. Yes. You got to love them. You got to so, love them. This, this is, <laughs> it's it's not a good song, but I know all the words. I grew up really in the 90s during yes. the pop era, right? That's when I was middle school, high school was the the peak of pop. And there is something about this song that I remember it being a summer trip in the United States, uh, I believe to Myrtle Beach. And so, I love Myrtle Beach. So this song kind of, and even though I didn't feel great, I got kind of sick on that trip, but it takes mm-hmm. me to that sense of being a kid in the summer, you're not at school, you're at the beach. Like that, that's where that song takes me. So it, it has that vacation vibe for me. 
And yes. so that's why I would include it on this. It's also just fun loving. I mean, there was so much, <laughs> there was so much music in that pop era. Uh, I don't remember the exact time when that song came out, but I'm imagining it was like mid to late nineties. I mean, you might, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah. it just felt a lot of those songs felt so light, which to me, you know, when I'm thinking again about songs and I'm thinking about playlists, I'm always thinking about weather. So how can you, you know, cultivate a sound, uh, a sonic landscape that reflects that. And that song feels very sunny and bright Yes, and, and totally beach-like. So I think it's, it's definitely an absolute line with, with the ideas that you had intended for the song. Okay. Uh, well, good. I'm glad I didn't lose you on that one. I was very concerned. You didn't lose me. I, I mean, concerned. I liked, I, there were quite a bit of songs in the nineties <laughs> pop orientation that I really liked. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are some, there are some boppers there, you know, and there the, was, there was. Yeah. All right. So my next song, again, this is one where, uh, time and place, uh, it's a little later, uh, but it's part of PhD stuff. And it was, is one that I listened to a lot while writing my dissertation. So the reason though, for me is that I remember the song so well, I listened to it. You know, when you have those breakthroughs, you're at the archives or you're writing and you can't figure something out. And then all of a sudden, like the world makes sense. The stars are in a line. Mm -hmm. Everything works mm -hmm. out. This song was playing when that happened for me, writing my dissertation. So that relief and that sense of relief that came with it is associated for me with this song. And it's If We Ever Meet Again by Timbaland and Katy Perry. And again, it's a, oh, okay. a, another upbeat kind of fun song that I really like, at least sort of in its tempo that I really enjoy. But when I hear that song, I just like my shoulders go down because I, mm. it, I just associate it with that sense of relief that I had in that moment. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because I, I don't think I really thought about that when I was crafting my playlist, but it's absolutely at play in music where it's not just about what the lyrics or the sounds evoke in you, but it's the way that a memory is connected or can be connected to music. And it literally takes you back. Yeah. You know, I mean, as historians, we're always thinking about the past and it's literally an activity that, that pulls you back into this moment. Right. And, and then immediately your mind, your body too, as you're mm -hmm. saying, identifies with the experience that the songs that the song evoked, right. Or how yeah. it's connected to a particular moment in time for you. And I think that's, it's when we really sit and, and pause about the effects that music has uh, it's, it's so incredible to think that it all in, all in a singular song, right. There can be meaning at the level of lyrics, at the level of sound, at the level of how that music is helping you relate to space and, and place making but also how it helps you relate to your life and memory and bodily experience. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous sensory experience. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that's why Dick Clark said it's the soundtrack to your life, right? It just, absolutely. You know, it's so it's so much more than just words or sounds. So from that, as we get to my back half, I go to a song that, it might not be the smoothest of transitions, but it is a song that now this is purely musical, I think. So you go from if we ever meet again. And what I like about this version of this song is that it starts slow, very lyrical, peaceful, and then it picks up. And I love the messaging 
of this song and what it represents and what it means and the overall utility of the song as a historian i've I've always been amazed by it and it's Mm -hmm. swing low sweet chariot the etta james version where she starts the first stanza just singing it like almost acapella there's a little sound Mm -hmm. and then it picks up and you hit the bridge and it just goes and i love the way the song is structured in that sense but i also like the way or the messaging of the lyrics because you could treat it or think of it as a religious song or you can think of it as a a, as messaging and representative of the underground railroad and the the chariot of the railroad coming low to the south to bring people home and the the symbolism of this song i find really powerful Mm -hmm. as someone who is a, a white person who grew up in the suburbs of toronto who doesn't have a direct connection to that imagery, uh, like a direct familial connection to it, I find it very powerful. And uh, I, I really enjoy the the notion of that, the community, the sense of community that it evokes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's a song that for me, both in terms of the, the musicality of it, I enjoy. But when I think about the deeper meaning and the power of the song, I, I find it one that, I always tend to include whenever I'm making a list. Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about this song is it's, you can, it's a song that you can actually trace across a really Mm -hmm. long historical time period, you know? So it's interesting. Uh, I'm curious to know why the Etta James version. So the Etta James version is, like I said, the way it starts is so powerful in its silence almost especially Mm. knowing what comes later in the song uh and just the way that she controls the first part of the song but it's also to me kind of representative of like when you get the the bridge itself is almost representative of the the break that you see when you're looking at the rebellious side that this song can or did represent for a lot of folks so the the first part of the song fits into what a a certain what what say so if it, in slave time the enslavers would hear something akin to that first part of the song wouldn't be bothered by it because it sounds very traditionally religious in a white anglo-saxon protestant kind of way mm-hmm. and then she hits the bridge and it becomes more of a song that would enrage enslavers because it fits into what i would identify as a southern baptist like black baptist kind of upbeat type of a song so for as as much as the song itself and and the music of it i enjoy it also to me represents that break and that resistance that rebellion going from that early part to and not even saying like, oh, well, well, this is what we would do. No, it's like we're fooling you into believing that this is what it is. And then we hit you with what we actually are doing. So it's that change over in there that is is very empowering that when I use this song, when I'm teaching, I find it just so incredible and so deep in, in what it's trying to accomplish that I just 
I, I almost struggle sometimes with students to try to convey how how amazing I find this particular version of it. That's, yeah, that's a great point. I think, too, it's a real, I mean, it's one of those texts um, in American history that really highlight, uh, again, how what community you're associated will really, you know, or sorry, how you understand the song is intimately connected to what communities you identify with. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the understanding is either uh, apparent or obscure, depending on your relationship to the community and to a particular lived experience. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when we look at the history of African American music, uh, this is a tradition that moves well on into the contemporary where, meanings are either, you know, unveiled or veiled through many different um, elements, text obviously being one of them, but also language, right? The yep. use of, um, and the referencing to other texts. So, you know, uh, it's clear here that there's a biblical element, but it, you know, it, it's almost, it's, it's so inviting also to a historian, to a researcher, because then you go on a journey of, that's beyond the musical text. Yeah. You're wondering what story they're referencing and what that story could mean in the context of their lives. It's, it's what makes uh, studying music, at least for me, so, so interesting. Yeah. And the idea that you can be subversive in front of the person you're being subversive to without that person knowing. Absolutely. Is, is incredible. And you know, I, and I had the opportunity as an undergrad to to study in Barbados, and I do remember there was I was the only white kid in a class, and we they had they had us do this skit, and my the people who I was working with they gave me a line to say I did not understand what the line meant, mm -hmm. uh, but it got a huge laugh, uh, I, and I assume it's because I said it, and that I I. I always remember that because one, I thought it was like, I'm, I'm happy to be the, whatever the joke is. And I think the joke was, this guy doesn't know what this means. Uh, was basically what it was. And I, I do find that kind of powerful that this moment that I was, I feel lucky to be involved in is it, it kind of clued me in on the idea almost of semiotics of, what I read on the page and what I would take away from it as a white Canadian, very different from how they used that language or whatever words were there and how they interpreted it. And it created a moment of laughter, whether or not it was at my expense, I'm not entirely sure, but it, it just clued into me in a way that reading in a book never could. The idea that words don't always mean what they mean. Right. And, and there's, and you can take story uh, at multiple levels. So yeah. it's not just, what the what the words the story that the words meant to tell, but that there's an entire circulation of meaning and symbolism in the act itself, right. in in who is in in who is partaking in the act and what that means, right? So there's just thinking about how music allows us to think about story as multi layered, yeah. because it's as much about the artifact itself as it is about the authors, as it is about the audience. Uh, as it is about the environment and the time and place that it's uh, that it's a part of. Yes, absolutely. So let's uh, change things up after okay. a very powerful, very meaningful Etta James song. My next song, this is going to go back. This is something that I always try to include on a road trip, at least one ACDC song. And okay. <laughs> the, the reason for that is I grew up playing hockey so 
in in dressing rooms there was always acdc going and for whatever reason it's still when i hear an acdc song it still gets me kind of pumped up you know it gets my blood flowing the heart rate gets up mm-hmm. so late in a playlist you know it, i think it helps to get the energy going again it's a huge break from what the previous song was and the previous few songs were so this is like almost a transitional song where i can hear it even after swing low sweet chariot it won't feel weird to my ears to go to that transition and it'll allow me to make that into the or get to the last three songs that i think would be more awkward because for me acdc can go anywhere and it won't feel strange to me so I have Hell's Bells there as okay. kind of a fun thing from the religious imagery of Swing Low Sweet Chariot than to go to Hell's Bells. And I think the bells at the start offer that aural transition from mm-hmm. what we had before, uh, more so than maybe some of the other songs. That's a very interesting choice. And it's incredibly, I mean, I'm revisiting the lyrics and they're so visual. Yeah incredibly visual and you know so much about environment uh yeah it's um what do you take the song to mean when you're thinking about the lyrics i'll be honest i've never actually thought about it Hmm. isn't that interesting when we listen to songs that sometimes uh we'll be listen we'll be so into the instrumentals themselves that the lyrics don't even it's almost like they don't appear right yeah, it's it's the sound. Yeah, it's the sound, and obviously, like the the lyrics are sung in that very high pitchy kind of screamy type of way. So for for me, it's like yeah, he could be saying while he's singing, like this pillow is soft. I'm really tired. I'm going to go to sleep now. But if he does it in that way, I'm still going to have the same reaction to it. Like the the yeah. words are meaningless almost. And it's so interesting because so, uh, you know, I'm revisiting the lyrics and like one of the lines is, if you're evil, you're a friend of mine. And I'm Mm -hmm. thinking of the fact that, you know, what preceded the playlist was something that was so deeply embedded in a religious tradition. And it was very literally referring to a biblical story and then to move into something that's referring to a kind of polar opposite, let's say, kind of. world beyond the material world or our, our you know, this fleshly world yep. is so interesting. And, and obviously, you know, they keep referring to, to hell and it's like this, the, the polarities, you know, even just between, between those two songs yeah. uh, existing on their own in the playlist. Yeah. It's a pretty hard transition. I will. It is. I will, I will <laughs> agree to that, but maybe it'll make more sense with my next song. Okay. And this is one again, I know all the words to it and I know all the words to the extent that you could throw this up at a karaoke place. I don't need the screen. You can turn the screen off. I'm fine. And that is devil went down to Georgia by the Charlie Daniels band. uh, Right. Which tells the song or tells the story of Johnny who meets the devil and ends up winning the contest with him playing the fiddle and gets the golden fiddle from the devil And it's a song that, so this is my transition out of now the playlist as we come down from, Mm -hmm. it's it's high energy-ish, like it's fast, but it's mostly spoken word 
or or it sounds like spoken word where if somebody like me who can't sing tries to quote unquote sing it it doesn't sound as right. bad as if i tried to do like a celine dion song or something which obviously would never work so it it, it has that ability for me to to make that transition while also telling a story that i don't know why i attach myself to the story or i hear this story of johnny beating the devil and i'm like yeah go johnny like i i don't know why i do that but i do it and i i just find this song very entertaining as a result yeah i mean it strikes me that there's there's an interesting um history of the way that, you know, blues music and every genre that kind of built out from it, um, you know, rock and roll or um, various other genres. There's a lot of songs that actually deal with the character of the devil and that the devil becomes this symbol of a, of a moment where you're, where the artist who is often, you know, sometimes referring to themselves, but sometimes referring to a third party, you know, in this case, um, Johnny, but the devil becomes uh, a symbol for someone who's at a crossroads, who's considering what direction to take or is in a moment of challenge. You know, so I wonder if that too is what this song is intending to mm. capture, uh, you know, that, that narrative, but also this long history of the devil being a central character uh, in a lot of uh, American music, uh, particularly, you know, in the, the, at the turn of the 20th century, moving into uh, the midpoint of the 20th century right. and the way that, the, you know, the, the function of the devil in, in those narratives. Yeah. And then, yeah. And certainly that overcoming of it. And maybe this would be a better transition from Swing Low Sweet Chariot. I don't know. Uh, but I, I like having Hell's Bells in the middle there uh, to get into The Devil Went Down to Georgia. So because uh, that leads into so Devil Went Down to Georgia, a song that not super hard to sing if you're singing along. And then my next one Again, it's 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 strange to me to think that the, I think this sounds good, but when I actually played this all out, it did sound good to me. So the next one, road trips for me are really largely based on. I've obviously taken road trips and driven long distances by myself before. More fun with other people, and of course, certainly more fun when you're there and your friends and and hanging out, having a good time. So to me, this is the perfect, you're with your friends, call and response, road trippy type song. And it's If I Had a Million Dollars by the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, yeah. What a great song. Right. So you you have one person who can do one role. The other person could do the other. And it comes together in, in this fun way. It's a silly song that I guess there's some affirmational something in it. But I, I always take it as like, it's just sort of a fun song not intended to be taken overly seriously. And again, after we we've gone through some of the other stuff in, in the the playlist that has meaning to me and some songs in here that obviously have just general powerful meanings as we're cooling down off of that kind of a silly call and response participatory song to lead us into the, the outro of the playlist. Great. Okay. So what's the outro? My favorite slow-ish, non-romantic-y song of all time that also evokes a lot of stuff for me as somebody who has been yelled at for saying that the prairies are much better than the mountains. It's Wheat Kings by the hip. I love this song so much. 
and it's I've a great cool down to the end of the playlist. It, the imagery that it evokes in my head as someone who's lived on the prairies before, mm-hmm. uh, I just love it so much. And again, just pace wise, I think it works as a closer because uh, again, it's it's slow but not super slow. And then the the meaning, the power of it, like I don't know. And I realize it's a very colonial mindset to say one of the things that I imagine of driving across the country is the big sky on the prairies and seeing the fields of wheat out there. And, but that's what I kind of envision. And the song to me represents what a Canadian road trip could be or what you see on a classical Canadian road trip. So for that purpose, I have it as my closer. Yeah, it's really interesting that you had you had a couple of songs that were really about um, evoking a sense of place, mm. you know, and and what that means and how you know how that how that can be placed uh, in a playlist, uh, and it really shapes the experience so that it could both be about traveling, but it also uh, it also very you know in it the lyrics bring you to that place, but you can also be in that place too at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and all of these songs to a certain extent for me do that. And, uh, and, but we Kings as a closer, like I, I wouldn't put it anywhere else on a playlist. I think it always has to be a closer for me uh, because, and I mean, also like if, if the idea from just a practical perspective is it's the end of the playlist that, that is a sign of, all right, it's time to take a break at the next rest stop like wheat kings kind of puts me into that mindset too of all right let's stop and look around for a little bit it's interesting too how it ends you know the the last two lines are wheat kings and pretty things oh what tomorrow brings so it's again it's this idea of hopefulness that i think is a parallel between our two lists um thinking forward you know that's a i think too uh how a playlist ends is is very telling too about the sentiment that you want to leave the listeners with. So to me, uh, leaving it on that note is it's interesting because we we chose different ways to you know to settle settle the audience with you know whatever whatever we're offering them. Yes, yeah, and, and yeah, it, yeah, with you with Sunday night that that yeah that Sunday night evokes that same sensibility of unwinding and calm. Uh, so yeah, it's, yeah, that is kind of interesting that we, that we finished in the same way. So overall, how would you yes. say I did? This is, I, I'm not an expert like you. I, I don't, I don't have the experience of putting together playlists and mine was very driven by my personal experiences with these songs, but how would you assess it as an, as someone who is, is more akin to these types of, of projects? I think one of the things that I, is a, was a considerable difference between our playlists was that even though I was certainly thinking about who would listen to my playlist, that it was someone, you know, other than me Mm -hmm. or me in addition to others, yours felt more as though it was intended to be, uh, to have a collectivity to it so that there was a kind of level of participation in the songs. Um, and in part, the reason I say that is because a lot of the songs, the tempos were different to our playlist. So a lot of, 
your music was much more up-tempo, uh, which I think in a lot of ways changes the energy. And it means for the audience that the energy is more participatory rather than I think what mine was doing because it was mid-tempo to slow in some cases, uh, it doesn't necessarily invite the audience to per- to have a kind of active participation in the way that I think yours yours did. So there's a, there's an entirely different feeling um, and level of engagement. I, and I think that's what makes the difference so interesting because again, it's uh, it's all about what you want from it. And, and two, you know, it's interesting to think about what, when we put songs on a playlist, they obviously have meaning for us. So I think in equal measure, we both chose things that were meaningful to us. They, you know, they were either our favorite artists or our favorite songs, or they reminded us us of a place in time. Uh, But we were also very mindful of what the song could be for people who were listening as well. Mm. Yeah. And what that can mean to them, right? So I think I think he did really well. Uh, there were there were some songs that were really great on your playlist that even, uh, you know, I hadn't heard in years, but I could immediately remember what they sounded like and what they're. I think what the artists intend for people to feel when they're listening to them, especially that S Club song. I can't get right. that one <laughs> in my head <laughs> because it's so fun and so yeah. light. Yeah, uh, I could literally the minute you said the title of the song and the artist, I could literally feel myself going back into hearing that song <laughs> on the radio. Yeah, you know, come on, S Club. There ain't nobody <laughs> like yeah. So, uh, so if anybody wants, uh, if you didn't take notes during this, head on over to Active History. I will put the two lists and links to all the songs up on the site on the post that goes with this episode so do head on over to active history for that and check out our list and uh francesca if people want to get more information about what you're working on some of your your work on hip-hop culture and black music in the americas where can they find you and where can they reach out if they want to get in touch they can reach me on instagram at hip-hop scholar 82 that's where you can find me or on twitter as well uh, at that same at that same point of identification Uh, And I'm always open to exchanging with people. And I'm definitely interested in hearing what people have to say, any feedback that they have after they've listened to our playlist. Because it's interesting to talk to the person who's crafted the playlist, you know, to talk to the author. Mm -hmm. But I'm really interested to hear from the listeners, too. Yeah, I'm excited for that, too. So everyone, yeah, let us know what you think of our list. And if you have a list of your own or ideas of of songs that you would want to see included, do feel to reach out to both of us and, and certainly to reach out to Francesca, as you said, at Hip Hop Scholar 82. So Francesca, this was so much fun. I can't thank you. I can't thank you enough for taking the time. I've taken more, I've taken an hour more of your time than I said I would. So thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was it was really fun. It was an it was uh, an experience uh, that I always invite. I mean, any invitation to make a playlist is I'm, I'm at that party. So I appreciate the invitation and the time you've taken to talk about music in such a deep and interesting way. Thank you so much. So there you have it. My discussion with Francesca D'Amico Cuthbert. And again, I thank her for joining me. And as I said off the top, if you are interested, check the show notes and the links to the two 
playlist will be there over on Spotify. And if you're at activehistory.ca, they are embedded into the post. So do check those out. And of course, do feel free. Let us know what you would put on your road trip playlist as we continue through this very strange summer of 2021. So that will do it for this week. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening to the show. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcasts. Do the likes, ratings, comments, all that good stuff to help us beat the algorithms, help other people find the show. If you want to let me know what you want to hear, do reach out, historyslam at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at the Sean Graham. And, of course, do head on over activehistory.ca. A lot of great stuff over there. This week, some timely stuff. The, the site was actually planning to do a bit of a summer hiatus, but so much great stuff has come in, including a piece by Tom Peace and Ian Milligan on the History Wars. If you have not been on social media this week, then you might have missed some of the back and forth over the open letter that was published. I don't want to get into a lot of it here. But the piece on active history, I think, is a really well done response and a way for us all to reflect on the current situation. So I would encourage that. That's why this is coming out a day late, because I had the opportunity to read that one early. And we thought that let's just push the episode by a day and have that post be the only thing on the site on Thursday. So do check that out. The site will be going on a bit of a hiatus over the next couple of weeks, but we will be here for you. We'll have a special repost of some of our favorite stuff next week and then a new episode coming back for you on August the 26th. So thanks again for listening, everybody. Hope you're all doing well out there. But of course, if you're out and you see Enrico Palazzo, please say hi for me. Thanks for listening to the History Slam podcast. Be sure to check out Active History for more features, articles, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes.